0: Amen. Isn't that what we should do at church? Come on, that's what we should be doing. Man, I had, I don't know about you, but I've had a busy last couple of weeks. This summer winding down thing is not working, you know? <laughs> Listen to this, over the last couple of weeks, I wrote this down today. My daughter had a reveal party. How many of you guys know what a reveal party is? I didn't know what a reveal party was until 30 people showed up at my house, and it was, it was crazy, and then we like, hey, it's a girl. So uh, we're excited about that. She's having a baby in November, but we know now it's a little girl. It's beautiful. So we had 30 people show up a couple, uh, gosh, about a week and a half ago. Then we had friends from out of town just show up and said, hey, what are you doing tonight, right? So then they showed up, hung out for a while. Then my, uh, we had 4th of July. We had 30 other people show up to our house. Then my son and his wife came home, which was awesome, but then my wife just goes a little nuts with my son at home. So that was another thing. And then uh, Let's see, last night, we, yesterday, we had the barbecue for the worship team, and there was like 40 people show up at my house. So, last two weeks, there's just been lots of humanity. Come on, have you ever had that happen in your life? You're just like, <laughs> it just it happens, right? All this stuff happens all at one moment. And you know what I found is I realized, like, I was tired. I, and then the make matter's worse, like a nut job, like any other, come on, I'm not alone, right? So... I, my daughter, they're her and my son-in-law are going to be moving a trailer on our property for a year. They're going to get out of debt and do some really great for them. But so they're going to put it there. Well, I have to prepare the spot for it, so I had to drop the seventy-foot pine tree yesterday, which I shouldn't have done before the people came. <laughs> but because I'm a guy, and we don't necessarily, and, and I didn't tell my wife, uh, right? <laughs> Some things you just don't tell in advance, right? And, and I had to drop it in like this 10-foot swath. No, it was probably 20-foot swath. And I just knew that if I went over just a little bit, I would like crush our house or not. So you need to know. It was perfect. It was awesome. Laid right down in an empty spot. I bucked it all up and then cleaned it all up and then barbecue happened. My back's killing me. It was awesome. So please pray. Anyway, just craziness, right? So yesterday after the barbecue, what a tremendous time Having everybody over. The day was beautiful. It was awesome. But I needed some rest. I needed just a, a moment. So my neighbor says to me, Hey, Lance, um, we live out on Fox Island. So he and his wife said, Hey, why don't you guys come and join us after everyone leaves and go out on the, on the boat? And so they went out on the boat in Puget Sound. I'll level with you. We get out on the boat, and uh, I looked, and there's no fishing poles. Um, there's, there's no books to read. There's no nothing, right? I like boats. There's no water skis. There's no diving gear. There's nothing. We just go out there in a the boat and we get out in the middle between uh, uh, McDeal Island and Fox Island and, and it's just this beautiful spot and he turns the boat off. And we sat. And sat. And sat. And he goes, you know what? I want to, I want to watch the sunset with my wife and his wife and all that. So we so were sitting there, right? And I was like, hurry it up, son. <laughs> go down, right? And, and I was like, Come on, right? Have you ever had that happen? You're just like, son, move. You know, and so I don't know if, you, you, you know what, that's dumb. How do you miss life in the midst of trying to live life? How, how do we spend so much time trying to get to the next thing that we can't even enjoy the moment? Our last night was the most beautiful, not only the most beautiful sunset, but just behind us, we were looking into the Olympic mountains. You can see the sun setting down. And just behind us, Mount Rainier, you see the moon come up over it last night? You see that? Dear Jesus. I sat there the whole time and I just felt like I had to repent half the boat ride. I was like, Lord, forgive me. I can't even catch my breath. I can't even just settle down for a minute. There was no fishing poles. There was no discussions. We need to talk to you. There was nothing. I want to talk to you. We were in week two of a series entitled "Sela: Sela." Sila means just that. It means to sit and ponder to just take in what the moment is giving to you. It just means to like really live all the moment of that moment that can possibly be lived at that moment. So many of us, uh, I'm the worst, we spend so much time trying to prepare for that moment and try to get ready for that moment that when that moment hits, we actually don't feel like we can actually enjoy that moment. Am I alone? No, we're all the same, right? There's that moment, it's hard to just turn it off and just... And just Selah. Over and over in the Bible, we see passages of Scripture that end with that word Selah, especially in the Psalms. This is how it's supposed to have been read. Let me read this Psalm 66, just a couple of verses of it. It says in verse, Psalm 66, verses 1 through, uh, I'll just read a few verses. It says, shout, in praise, shout joyfully praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting the name in his glorious songs. Selah. Then he says in verse five, come and see that God, what God has done, what awesome miracles he has done for his people. He made the dry path through the Red Sea and his people went across foot. Come and let us rejoice in who he is for the great for great." For by his great power he rules forever. He watches every moment of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. Selah. Literally in these passages of scripture, he's telling us just to absorb the moment. When was the last time you sat and just lived in the moment? I, I love the the musical notation of that same word sila, which is called the fermata. In musical terms, a fermata literally means to hold out that musical note, whatever is below it, whether it's a, a quarter note, a half note, whole note doesn't matter. Whatever the whatever the conductor says and leaves his arms up, you do what it is that's just below that. And you'll see in the screens that just below the fermata is what's called a rest. <laughs> A quarter note, rest, literally means this. It means to hold the rest as long as the arms are raised of the director or the conductor. Translation, chill out. (laughs) Slow down. Take a deep breath. sila, And absorb the moment. It's not just about the absence of action. It's not just about the, 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 the absence of doing something. It's about the absorption of the moment. It's the Russell Wilson live in the now. <laughs> it's the idea of being able to say I have no worries of tomorrow or yesterday because I have only this moment. Could you imagine if we could really live in sila? Could you imagine if we could really live in the moment of, of of every moment and and not fearing what's to come or what was and that that's where fears to come come from, you know that, right? Fears to the fears to ahead are often memories of things that were in the past. And we spend so much time looking backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, we never actually live in the moment because our fear is telling us of what that was. And, and by the way, it exalts it and magnifies it to what it could be. And then we live in the future of something that isn't even, and we forget the moment. And every minute of every day, that, that's why I really believe with all my heart that the devil comes to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. Well, what is it that he can steal from us that we can never get back? Well, it's not money, it's, it's not stuff. You can get some of that stuff back. But let me tell you this. You know what it is he can steal from you you'll never get back? Time. And if he steals that moment from you, you'll never get that moment back. That's why I think it's so important for us to remember what scripture says. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow is enough worries of its own. Just live in the now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go home. Hmm. Open your Bibles, if you could, to Mark chapter 4. I want to talk with you today about a time when Jesus calmed the storm, when Jesus had this moment that, that he walked in. You know, Jesus never walked in fear. He never walked in worry. Jesus never concerned himself about tomorrow. He didn't waste his time thinking about the yesterday. Jesus lived constantly in this sila moment. Jesus wasn't worried about the storms that were hitting him or the trials that were about to befall him. Jesus lived in the moment, right, then and now. He knew that his law in life was going to be one day to die for the sins of all humanity. But the truth is, he didn't live with the fear of what was about to happen. Could you imagine knowing that you were heading towards that as the end of your life? How would that drive your actions? How would that lead your activities? Knowing that just in a a few short moments, years perhaps, just a couple of weeks, not long after this, you were going to have this moment where you were going to be sacrificed on a cross. Knowing that in your head, but still living in Selah, the peace, the calm. Jesus, the Bible says in Mark chapter 4, just gets finished uh, sharing this amazing sermon, li- literally four or five sermons in a row about seeds and lamps and and harvesting and all the things that had happened. And Jesus literally is has his heels backed up to the Sea of Galilee. this large crowd, probably thousands of people, were pushing in on him. Not because they did not they, they wanted to get closer. They wanted to hear him. Remember, the sound system wasn't working well. So, so people, a thousand people, several thousands perhaps, were trying to listen. So, then Jesus, being who he was, gets out, passes one of the disciples to push out in a boat just a little bit, and uses the acoustics of the water to speak to thousands of people. Brilliant. Right? And being able to do that, so Jesus does all that and speaks to these people. Then at the end of his messages, Jesus says, Let's go to the other side of the lake. Translation I'm pooped. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I love this passage because it expresses not only Jesus' sovereignty and Jesus' godishness, but it also expresses his humanness. It also tells us his humanity. I love what Jesus did. Jesus lived his life to show us how to do it. Jesus lived his life completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this is amazing to me. Mark chapter four, verse 35. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. As he, he was already in the boat, when, so they started leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? When they woke him up, he rebuked the wind, And said to the water, be quiet, or quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped. By the way, the wind didn't settle down, the wind stopped. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was great calm. I mean, it would, we go on, verse 40. And he asked them, why are you still afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? They were filled with awe and said among themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Man, I love this. this. This whole This whole narrative takes place out on the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is an amazing place. I told you last week a little bit about it, but just a refresher. This is a a lake that's not enormous. It's a lake that's about 13 miles long, about six miles wide. Uh, It's a freshwater lake. It's probably the most scientifically studied freshwater lake on the planet. Why? Because of the crazy weather patterns that happen. Even today, uh, at one moment's notice, Throughout the course of any given day, a storm can hit the Sea of Galilee and, and shake them. The swells can go from zero to 10 feet in just minutes. Within 20 minutes or so, you could be out on the middle of the lake, and then just absolute crazy bedlam happens. No clouds in the sky, completely sunny, and it happens. Why? Because it's, it's a, uh, the Sea of Galilee is literally 680 feet below sea level. It's, it's super low. It's, it's, a, it's, this, it's this in its this valley. So there's three big, three big hills that surround it, and all three hills all have winds that come in, one from the ocean, one from the desert, and one from the mountains of Lebanon where there's snow. So wet, hot, cold wind all converge in the Sea of Galilee, Every day between noon and about 6 p.m. And and crazy bedlam happens. Like they see it coming. And I I know that because I was out there and I got to see it happen. People were just on the side of their leg doing what they were doing camp. And next thing you know, they're like, you know, kite surfing. (laughs) Like crazy kite surfing. You know what I mean? And, And it was like nuts seeing that stuff happen. I love that God uses the Sea of Galilee and this crazy storms, not only as the backdrop, but for us today. Today, we can still see those things that happen. Because sometimes you read your Bible and you think to yourself like, mm, really? Has that ever happened to you? You're like, Jonah eaten by a whale. Mm. You say that, let me tell you this, really real. This stuff is really real. The Bible's not a kind suggestion. It's not a series of stories. It's really, really real. You see the Sea of Galilee, it really, really happens. Crazy storms out of nowhere. Jesus uses this as the backdrop to his story. As he begins to talk to them about how to walk this thing out, about Making it through embracing your life and walking out life with fear. How do you navigate life with fear? I think it's amazing to me that these disciples, some of which were career fishermen, some of which had spent all of their lives out on the Sea of Galilee, found themselves literally the word it says frantically they came to Jesus while he was sleeping. The word frantically in the Greek means cowardice. Means completely sheepish, spineless. These are a bunch of dudes who who were like ki- kids on the Sea of Galilee, young men on the Sea of Galilee, fathers on the Sea of Galilee. They'd spent all their life. They had seen their share of storms. Trust me. And at this particular storm, something about this storm shook them to the core. Something about this storm caused them to be cowardice. See, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe there's something about your life that the, the sun's shining, everyone seems to be happy, there's food on your table, but there's something inside of you that's tumultuous. Something inside of you that's raging with, with, with waves higher than normal. No one sees it on the outside, but on the inside, you know that feeling, that, that anxiety, that, that, that fear, that, that, that thing that's causing you not just to live cautiously, but to live literally paralyzed. Paralyzed. See, the, the, the disciples on the Sea of Galilee felt the same way, literally paralyzed, unable to do the right thing. They didn't know the storm was bigger than them. And perhaps that's where you find yourself today, living in a storm that's bigger than you. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here today. First of all, you're normal. Everyone say, I'm normal. No, you're supposed to say, I'm normal. No, I'm kidding, I'm normal, right? You realize it's normal. Fear wants to steal your life. But but I think God uses, uses our environment to begin to show us some things about himself that are pretty amazing. The word selah means this, to pause and seek for peace. Let me draw attention to a couple of these specific verses. Verse 38 says, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat, his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up. Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? When they woke him up, he rebuked the wind and the water and said, quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped. They were in great calm and he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still, do you not have faith in me? I looked up this last week, um, 100 of humans' greatest fears, the greatest fears from humanity. Let me me list the top 10 fears that most of you all struggle with, right? And I say you all because I am y'all, right? So uh, here's the top 10. Fear of spiders, number one. Fear of snakes, fear of heights, fear of open, crowded spaces, fear of open or crowded spaces, fear of dogs, fear of thunder and lightning, fear of small spaces, fear of germs, fear of flying, and fear of holes. Me, mean fear afraid of a hole? Oh, no, never Here we go. Listen, here's a couple that were just for fun that I read throughout the list. Fear of missing out. Maybe you've seen the words F-O-M-O, FOMO, literally means fear of missing out. Like I always got to be, always. I'm going to miss out on something. That's a thing. Uh, fear of hospitals, fear of balloons, fear of buttons, right? Fear of clowns, fear of worms, fear of being buried alive, and fear of moths. They're all real things. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Uh, the, two of these are on my top two lists of things that I fear the most, all right? Uh, I don't know if you knew that. But I actually am I'm going to be, be completely honest with you and humble, so don't laugh, right? So <laughs> I, I, two things that I fear the most on this list, hospitals. I'm not a fan of hospitals. I love you all. Please know I love you. But when I go to visit you in the hospital, I, I can't get, I, mean, I can't think about it. You can't catch my breath. But it's like I just, and somebody said, you need counseling. I was like, no, I just don't need to go to the hospital, you know, so I want to visit you. I do, but every time I go to visit somebody in a hospital, they go like this, nearly every time. No one's here. They usually go, look at my owie. And they put it down. I'm like, God, I don't want to look at your owie. And so I just ay, ay. anyway, so fear of hospitals, not my thing. If I ever don't come see you at the hospital, please know I love you. I'm dealing though. I'm dealing with the fear, right? So I'm doing my best to try to navigate that journey, but please know I love you like crazy. I'm not a fan. Let me ask you fellas this. Have you ever been in a situation when your wife is talking to you and, and she says something that you're committing to, you don't really know you're committing to it, but you, you end up saying yes to it, and, and about halfway to the place you're going, you realize what you just committed to. Has this ever happened to you? I cannot be alone in this. There we go, a couple of you, right? So I, I remember one time my wife said, hey, you need to take your son on the field trip, right? His school school's going on a field trip, and I was like, all right, go on a field trip. So we go on a field trip, and, and when we're there, you got to know that my other fear of the same list is the fear of moths. Not kidding. You know what a moth is? Demon possessed butterfly. <laughs> Dude, you ever see a picture of hell on a, anywhere? There's a moth. There's a moth in there somewhere. They're from the devil. Anyway, so I, I say yes to my wife to go on this field trip. We're we're on the field trip, and we're going to the Seattle Science Center at that time, and he was young, and I was like, "Sweet, we're gonna go there." emphasis of the trip was to go into the butterfly museum, whatever, the butterfly exhibit. They're alive. They're like this. They're huge. I'm telling you. So we go walking in there, and I'm standing in line going like, you know, halfway there, halfway attentive. 10. My, my son goes, Dad, these butterflies are going to be awesome. I said, wait, what? He goes, these butterflies. And I was like, yeah, man. I don't know if I signed up for this. He goes, yeah, you did. Mom said. You, you're going to, you know, I was like, Dad. Ah! So I go walking in there, thinking, "All right, I'll just go through this little exhibit." And literally, if you've never been there, you walk into it. There's there's plants everywhere and millions of butterflies, A.K.A. moths with color. <laughs> They're the same thing. Don't fool yourself, man. The same thing. I don't know what it is. It just grosses me out. So we finally, my son's like, "Dude, look at this one. Look at that. Look at that. They're landing on you." I was like, "Jesus!" I, I don't think I've spoken in tongues as loud and as long. I'm sweating thinking about it. Anyway, so we, we got to the very end of the butterfly exhibit. You think it's funny, right? So, And this little cute little lady looks at me. And she goes, sir, raise your arms up. And I was like, why? She goes, because sometimes they get in on you and they go away with you. We don't want that. And I was like, we don't want that. Hi. <laughs> there. I've gotten that off my chest. Fear. Let's take a closer look at fear. There's good fear. And then there's bad fear. Good fear, the fear of the Lord. Many of you have heard of that before. Fear of the Lord is when we stand in awe of his presence. When, when like in worship today, when Eli was leading us into that moment, and we just sat there for a minute and just acknowledged the awe of his glory. The fear of the Lord is beautiful. Psalm Proverbs 9.10 says this, that the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in understanding. That kind of fear is good. But then there's bad fear, the kind of, the kind of fear that, that can paralyze you, that can keep you from what you're supposed to be. I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about bad fear and, and the bad fear that seems to get us so much. Uh, the prophet Webster says fear this way it says, Fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by an anticipation or awareness of danger, right? Actually, it's an internal warning cry. That some sort of danger, real or perceived, is nearby. Real or perceived. Do you realize that the most common command in all of Scripture is not be more loving, be more caring, be a bigger servant, or give more to your church? You know what the most common command in all of Scripture is? Two words, fear not. Hmm. Why would God make that the most common command? Something tells me it's because we struggle with that the most. Fear. Hmm. You realize that no one's ever been kicked out of church because of fear? No one's ever been told, leave this church, you're too much fearful. No, we would never do that. Fear is common to all of us, but it is debilitating. Jo- John Ortberg writes this about fear The number one reason that humans are tempted to avoid doing what God asks them to do is fear. Fear is the very thing that keeps us from being obedient to what God's asked us to do. Fear keeps us from stepping out into that place called faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Fear keeps us from faith. Therefore, it's oftentimes that our life lives completely not pleasing to the Lord in our activity. So much of what God has for us means to overcome that fear, to get past that emotion, to get past that time. It's just so difficult to have to navigate those waters because there's so many elements to it. Let me give you three truths about fear. First of all, fear blurs your view of life. You've taken fear as that acrostic, F-E-A-R, and seen it before, false evidence appearing real, right? Fear, fear blur, blurs your view of life. It says in Matthew 4, Mark 4, 38, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up shouting. Amazing, the word frantic means cowardly. And did you ever wonder how Jesus could sleep in the middle of that thing? I mean, it wasn't like he was on a Titanic. It wasn't like he was on some master huge boat. It could have been a boat that that held 15, 20 people. But somehow he was able to sleep in the middle of a storm. How can Jesus sleep in the middle of a storm? Because Jesus isn't worried about the storm. Jesus isn't worried about what's about to happen. Jesus knows what his life's calling and purpose is. He knows what he's about to do. Somehow, let me tell you this, there's nothing that will keep you awake longer in the middle of the night than worry. Come on. Nothing that will keep you from sleep, like fear. Keeps you from sleep, right? Especially just about that moment you're about to nod off and you have that thought. Is that bill going to get paid? (laughs) Is that relationship really going to make it through? All those things that just get you, right? And you know when the devil does it, right? Right at the time that you're most exhausted. Why? You know what the devil really wants to get you is super tired, super exhausted, and absolutely sterile. Doing nothing. He wants you to look like statues, He wants us to just look like a a living, breathing image of God, because that's what we're created in, and absolutely doing nothing. He wants us to look like the, the kid out in right field picking daisies in the middle of the baseball game. He wants us to look like God, but be absolutely useless. And how does he do that best? One word, fear. Fear keeps us from living it out. And you realize there's no other way to get past fear except for to walk in the midst of it? And, and, and I say to do it gradually, to, to go into to, to things that scare you. I always tell people when, when John came up this morning and talked about Joshua and the people, children of Israel crossing over the Jordan River, and God said, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I love that, the word strong and courageous. And I can tell you before, we've told you before, how do you get strong? You get strong by lifting heavy stuff. How do you gain courage? By learning to walk in the midst of scary things. How do you gain courage to overcome fear? But by, by having to walk through some scary things and remembering that because the devil doesn't want you to remember those things. First truth about fear, fear blurs your view of life. Secondly, truth about fear, fear is relentless in its pursuit of you. Fear wants to take external fear and turn it into internal worry. Fear always wants to take external fear and turn it into internal worry. In other words, it wants to create voices in your head that just don't stop. He talks faster and and more clearly than anyone else. The devil can mask himself just like your voice in your head and live you, make you paralyzed. And the third truth about fear, if given a chance, fear will cripple you. In Mark chapter 6, just two, two chapters away, It says, during the night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Jesus was on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard against the wind and the waves, about three o'clock in the morning. Now remember, this is two chapters from here. We're in chapter four. This is in chapter six. They had already seen Jesus calm a storm one time. They would already seen Jesus on the Sea of Galilee calm a storm. And then just after this moment, just before this moment, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. And it says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water He started to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they screamed in terror, thinking it was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them. It's all right, he said. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat. The wind stopped. They were astonished at what they saw. They still, get this, they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the multiplied loaves, for their hearts were hard and they did not believe. Let me tell you this. The devil wants to keep your heart hard. It's amazing to me, like they're hanging out with Jesus. And and to be honest with you, he was the rock star of that region. I mean, Jesus had just, just a moment before stopped the raging storms. Then Jesus probably healed people on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Then Jesus goes across the water and literally feeds thousands of people with just a lunch. Then he comes back over and starts walking on the water. And then the Bible says even after all of that, their hearts were hard. And some of us look at that and read it and we're thinking like, what kind of people are they? Until so we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're realizing that we're reading this after the fact. This is the same Jesus, and yet still we find our hearts hardening and unable to believe that God is still the same God. God's still the same King who can still stop storms and get us off our fearful moments. Somehow we just look at them and think like, well, it must have been easier for you, yet they're the very ones that says in Scripture here for all eternity that their hearts remain hard. Hmm. So what's the solution? How do we face our biggest fears? Number one, to face your fears, number one, call it what it is. Call it what it is. If it's a coat rack in the corner in the middle of the night, call it a coat rack in the corner of the middle of the night. All too often, we look at that thing and we call it a monster. We say it's too much. We say it's going to overtake me. Call the storm what it is. Begin to say, listen, that argument can be dealt with tomorrow and somehow be able to tell it what it is. I love one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 56. If you get a chance and you're scared, read it. It's that moment where, or listen to this. This is just one excerpt from it, from verses one to four. It says, oh God, have mercy on me. The enemy troops press in on me. My foes attack me all day long. My slanderers hound me constantly. And many are boldly attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Oh God, I praise your word. I trust you, God. So why should I be afraid? For what can mere mortals do to me? And the song goes on to talk about that over and over again. What can mere mortals do to me? When we begin to put into perspective and call the storm for what it is, This is just a season in life. It's just a a loan that I'm looking for. It's just a bill that needs to get paid. It's just a whatever it is, and you call it for what it is. Let me tell you this. the, the, The devil hates it when you look at truth. The devil hates it when you look at it for what it is, because the coat rack in the corner that in the middle of the night looks like the monster seeking you out. When you flip the lights on and you realize it's a coat rack, turn the lights back off and tell yourself again it's just a coat rack. In other words, there's too many of us that find ourselves still running in circles in the middle of the night in our brains because we just seem to, can't, can't seem to stop it. To overcome fear, you need to call it for what it is. Call the storm for what it is. Call it and say, listen, this is just a season. This is, this is just a moment. Some of you have lost your minds over your children who are wayward. And you've said they'll never come back. And I'm here to tell you today, as, as a father of someone who had a child that was wayward who came back and is serving God with all of her heart, I'm telling you it is possible. And you begin to say, God, I believe you. If this is a season of their life and they're going to make it, or someone who's married to someone whose marriage has fallen apart, this is a season. And you begin to press into Jesus with all your heart because remember, you bring you into your marriage you either bring a worrying, scared, fearful part of you into your marriage, or if your wayward spouse is somewhere else, you bring a healthy, you get healthy, you get strong, you seek Jesus with all your heart, and you become the healthy part of marriage that you bring into your marriage. And you watch God begin to restore and build, not only in you, but perhaps even in your spouse. Amen. Key to facing your fears, number two. Acknowledge your limitations. Acknowledge your limitations. Mark 4.37 says, The high waves began to break into the boat and nearly fill it full of water. I think some things we don't realize is that this particular storm, like I said before, these guys were career fishermen. The the, the Bible actually records this, uh, not even the Bible, but scientists tell us that the winds can blow so hard on the Sea of Galilee that they can almost feel like hurricane-force winds. Hurricane-force winds in this little teeny bowl of a place is just nuts. Things were going crazy. Things were going absolutely nuts. The Bible says the the boat was so filled with water. Let me tell you this. Some of the things that's really difficult is is trying to keep some perspective and realize what you're capable of and not capable of. It says at some moment that that, that, that at some point they got so tired or whatever it was that compelled them to finally go talk to Jesus See, I got a funny feeling that they're just a bunch of guys like you and me who decided to work all of their night trying to bail the water out of the boat, trying to get the sails the right direction, trying to do whatever they were supposed to do to, to try to get them to shore. They were probably exhausted. It's funny to me because at the, at the very point of their exhaustion, they finally come to Jesus, right? Isn't that how it is for you and me? When, when do we usually come to Jesus? The beginning of the storm? No, we usually come to Jesus when we're done, done working all we know how to work. And usually by then we're exhausted. Kind of feel like that's when we're finally open to hear him anyway. You know, it might save you a few steps and some anxious moments to actually go to him first. You know, and come to him with some strength instead of weariness and say, I trust you, God, I don't know. In the middle of a storm, acknowledge your limitations. I always think it's kind of interesting in this, this one little passage. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? Now remember, this is the chapter four version. This is the first time Jesus calmed the stores on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, do you not trust me? Why are you still afraid? By the way, they had actually never seen someone stop a storm. They didn't know Jesus could do something like that. They were surprised at the end that he could actually stop the wind and the waves. Like I said, the wind and the waves stopped suddenly. They didn't, they didn't just trail off. Like it was, wah, stop, peace freaked out. Could you imagine in that moment, right? Realize your limitations. It says, Jesus says, did you not believe in me? Did you not trust me? I think it's always kind of weird to me because it feels like an unfair question. I mean, if, I mean it's like they, they saw Jesus heal people. They, they saw Jesus, you know, do other miracles, turn water into wine, perhaps. They saw some things, but, but Jesus said, did you not have faith in me? I always feel like it's a little unfair. Until you go back to read a little more closely and realize what Jesus was getting at. Listen to this. Up in Mark chapter four, verse 38, the disciples say, teacher, don't you even care? Don't you even care? When the disciples came to Jesus, the first things to him were, Jesus, don't you even care? This storm is raging. It's coming down on us super hard. We're about to go down. Don't you even care? Aren't you glad that you've never had that question to God? See, I think Jesus, what he was saying to them was that Jesus was not only addressing them, but Jesus was addressing us. Don't you even care? I got a funny feeling that that's what triggered Jesus to say, wait, 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 wait. Are you kidding me? How, are you kidding me? I don't care. Like, I'm living this whole journey just for you. That's the reason I'm doing this is for you. Of course I care. I'm the only one who does care. I'm getting nothing out of this deal. This is all for you. Some of you have found yourself in the weakest, darkest places in your life with that question running off your lips over and over again. God, don't you care? Don't you even care? Maybe that's been at the forefront of your mind. Maybe that's been what's been holding you in place, and you've been saying over and over again, God, don't you even care? Let me tell you this, if you find yourself in the middle of a storm today, and all you can think to say is, God, don't you care? First of all, know you're normal. Second of all, know that he does care. Let me tell you this, because he cared, he allowed the storm to hit them with full force. Because he cared, he allowed them to take the full brunt of the storm straight in their face. See, we would tend to think that if he cared, he would have had the storm avoid them. See, if we really believe Jesus cared, he would have said, you know what, storm go away. My disciples are out here on the Sea of Galilee nice and calm. Because Jesus cared, he allowed them to go into a storm. That makes me mad. Because you would think a loving, caring God would never allow that to happen. But just the opposite happened. Because he cared, he allowed them to face a storm. Because he cares for you, he's allowing you to endure this storm It's in the midst of the storm now that you get to find Sila or keep on bailing. And how's that working? You can live in Sila, live in the peace and allow Jesus to stop the storm or you can just keep on bailing and trying to hope that you'll just get enough water out of the boat to make it. Jesus allowed them to go into this storm because he cared, not because he didn't. If that's where you find yourself today, I want you to know that you're gonna be okay. This storm is not gonna take you under. When you trust Jesus, it doesn't matter what the outcome of your prayer is. It doesn't matter what that thing is. If God doesn't answer your prayer your way, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. If God doesn't make his his his, his, his genius fulfill your three wishes, it's not because he doesn't care. He's a good dad. Let me tell you what good dads sometimes say. No. No. Because I care. I'm a good dad. There was plenty of times when I said to my kids, that sounds like a blast. That sounds like a really good option. But no. It's not going to be for the best of you or for us that you make that decision. So no. Dad, you don't even care. Because he cares. That's why he's allowing this storm into your life I think it's amazing to me, this morning I came in we were out there with our pre-service prayer and Elisha, our service director, pastor he, he steps up and he goes, hey, God's putting a word on my heart about fear, and he, he just straight up, he doesn't know what I'm preaching, and next thing you know he's talking about fear, and then, then just before church I asked Pastor John, the one who's our children's pastor, hey, come on up, would you do that little, the little time after the worship and just before the greeting and, and kind of help pastor that moment, he goes, absolutely, he comes right up here, what does he say? Fear don't live in fear and then I go after, after both of these men and I say, listen, you know what God's put on my heart? Dealing with fear. Why would God allow three pastors in your church to have the same word? Perhaps some of us are dealing with fear. Perhaps some of us are living, getting punched in the jaw and you're just so tired of it and you feel like God doesn't care because the storm keeps hitting you and you're thinking God doesn't care. I'm here to tell you today, he's allowing this in your life because He cares. Turn to him in the midst of it and find peace and calm in the midst of the storm. Jesus was at complete Sila in the middle of the raging storm. Jesus was asleep. I think some of us could fall asleep in the middle of a storm if we could realize that we could cast all of our care upon him and trust him. There's one thing the disciples did that day that I love, that, that I will help you overcome fear. Number three. Number three, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. They didn't walk. I don't know how long the journey was, but they, they're 10 or 15, 20 feet. I don't know what it was, but they ran to Jesus. This is frantic. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. Frantically, they woke him up. Then, interestingly enough, there's two words for fear in this passage of Scripture. The first one was when they saw the storm. It says they were terrified. Literally, they, they, were, they were cowardly, But then it said, after Jesus calmed the storm, it says that the disciples looked at Jesus in terror. (laughs) In terror. Not because of the storm outside the boat, but for Jesus being inside the boat. Because they realized what he was capable of. Some of you need to run to Jesus like you've never run to Jesus before. Oh, he's... He's amazing. He's, he, Jesus will comfort you. He'll carry you. He'll, let me tell you this. When you realize he's God and you're not, your knees will buckle. Jesus never intended to be your best buddy. Jesus is the Lord of all. Jesus isn't your, your, your hanging mate. Je, Jesus isn't that. Jesus is the Lord of all. He's the king of kings. He's the storm stopper. He's the creator of all that is. And the moment we turn Jesus into our buddy, the moment we have missed out on who he really is, run to Jesus Run to Jesus. Run to Him. Find yourself on your face, allowing the storm just to pass you because Jesus is with you and you're with Jesus. Some of you are in the middle of the biggest storm of your life, and you've been avoiding Jesus. You've been avoiding Jesus because you didn't think He cared. I'm here to tell you, He is there with you. Run to Him. Jesus, this morning we come and we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for sila, true peace. I pray today, God, for these men and women, Lord, these boys and girls who are here today as well, God, that we could come to you and say, Father, we need to live in your peace. Maybe this morning as you're quietly before the Lord, you need to confess your sin of raising your fist at heaven and saying, God, how dare you? You don't care. Maybe this morning you need to ask God to forgive you and say, Jesus, forgive me for not trusting you, but living in my own version of life. Just ask him, Jesus, would you forgive me? Just forgive me, God. I wanna learn to live in Sila. I wanna learn to live with, with, with your arms raised and the fermata being held and that I could live in rest. You said perfect love casts out all fear. I pray this morning that we would run and embrace perfect love. We're not sticking our head in the ground for sure, Jesus. What we're doing is we're running to you even though the storm is raging. We need you, God. If you need to turn your life over to Jesus today and you've never done that, just do it right now. Jesus, forgive me for living my life on my own. I need you. I wanna become a Christian today. I want you to take away my sin. Just go ahead. This is between you and him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Overcome fear. You got this. Good stuff? Sila. We came in from the boat last night. I remember thinking we got to drive in, we were coming in, and you could see Mount Rainier with the moon sitting over it, the reflection of the moon on the water. I just thought, and the water was so calm. I just thought, God, you're so good. That I could live in peace, I could live in Sila, knowing that all the world around me. Polly asked me before we got on the boat, Did you finish writing your sermon? (laughs) I said yes. I just love that I could live in the middle of that moment afterwards. Maybe you can do it ahead of time. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? God bless you. Thanks for coming today. We give someone a hug before you leave. Be blessed.